Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast. And uh, joining me on today's show is uh, Danny Scott, who is the CEO and founder of Coin Corner, another UK-based exchange. Well, based in the Isle of Man, but uh, we'll get into that. Lots of stories that uh, we get into. Um, really enjoyed this episode, as I enjoy all of them, uh, as you're probably coming to realise, uh, and hope you do too. Really appreciate uh, the time Danny spent coming on and um, sharing his insights. So, let's get into this one. Um, Lauren, of course, kicks us off with a few uh, a few questions, which Danny. Um, adeptly answers so before we we head off i mean it, it feels a bit strange shilling a, a competitor but uh, that's kind of how the bitcoin space works um everybody's trying to help each other out here uh coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten uh have been kind enough to support the show and supply me with that affiliate link you can go start stacking some sats with them uh, it could be as little or as much as you like but let, let's get you started and uh, in the game Hope you enjoy this one, guys, and uh, I'll catch you after the show. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, welcome to today's show, and joining me is Danny Scott, uh, at Coin Corner Danny on Twitter. He's the CEO of the UK Bitcoin exchange, um, Coin Corner, and co-founder of Mount Sox, and we're going to get into both of those. So, Danny, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on. Appreciate it. And um, Lauren is here. She's been uh, entertaining in pre-record. So you've got a question. I got two. You've got two, which I've, <laughs> I've got to try and them. tease out of you. Okay. Well, oh, you want to go with the first one? Yeah. I'm okay, go, go the for first it. One. Um. So, how do you find Bitcoin? How do you find Bitcoin? No. How did you how find? Did, how did? Okay. Um. So. I was at university um, back in 2009, um, which was very early on. Um, one of my teachers was talking to me uh, about the Benzene team generals problem, and we got into a conversation about that. I went away, had a little bit of research on it, uh, and I think it's probably about March, April 2009 time. Um, I think I came across a Wikipedia page or a wiki page that was talking about Bitcoin and kind of delved into it. Um, read a little bit about it and then I found I went back to the teacher at the time at university and said to them you know found this thing called bitcoin it's meant to solve the problem and they sort of shrugged it off and was like ah no it, it won't be solving the problem don't worry you can move on so after that I kind of took their lead a little bit and I ended up I was busy with my exams at that time anyway so I kind of got distracted and and ignored it um so that was kind of my first intro into bitcoin and first uh, and you see what happened a teacher killed his love of love right there. <laughs> Stop challenging the narrative and get back to your exams, young Dan. <laughs> and um, so the Benzantine general's problem, um, we, do we know what that is? Oh, yeah. What is it? Well, there's, th that's question that's number question two, two, so you've still got a third one. I do? But yes. <laughs> do you want to... <laughs> 
Danny, do you, could you <laughs> explain to a nine-year-old what the oh, Benzantine General's problem is? I'll try. <laughs> um, so that is where there's a number of parties, another, a number of people that want to agree on something, um, but they can't communicate correctly to, to be able to agree on something. So let's pretend they're um, on different, different roads. They're on, or let's say they're on one big street and one's at the end, one's in the middle and one's at the other end. So you can't shout to each other because you can't hear. So you need to communicate somehow. Um, what you've, number one, at one end, has said, okay, we're going to go and knock on door number three in, in this house on the street. And they want to go and knock on number three. They tell number two that, okay, we're going to go and knock on number three. And they agree, okay, we're going to go and knock on number three. But the middle person in the road then tells the person at the other end of the road, actually, we're going to go and knock on number five. And they go and knock on number five instead of number three. So it means they've not all agreed and somebody's lied along the way and they've actually knocked on two different houses rather than one house. Um, so that then is the, the problem and how you can trust the people that all three parties are agreeing to the same house they're going to knock on the door of. That was completely made up on the spot there for a <laughs> child. Hopefully that makes some sort of sense. <laughs> trying to say that if they don't agree then that's fun right yeah yeah exactly okay exactly it's kind of like me getting you guys at a dinner table all at the same time when you're all in different rooms and i have no idea where you are and if i'd said do dinner was at seven have... and caitlin told you dinner's at 6 30 and everybody like you know it's just a mess do you really have to say this on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Do you really have to bring up that example? Well, okay, let's lead into your third question then. <laughs> when I said to you, I'm going to record a podcast with, uh, with Danny later, and he's the, uh, the founder and CEO of an exchange. Oh, yeah, what's exchange? <laughs> what's an, an exchange? exchange? <laughs> um, so an exchange is uh, just a website where anybody can come and buy and sell Bitcoin. Um, at its simplest form, I think. Um, we also have other products on there as well. Um, obviously, we've got the wallet so you can keep your Bitcoins with us. Um, and we've got a mobile wallet so you can buy Bitcoin on Android and iOS app stores. Um, and yeah, it's a, a simple way to put it. It's a place to come and buy and sell Bitcoin. Oh, happy? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm happy. Good. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I was happy before, but I'm happy that I got <laughs> Do you want to say goodbye today? Yeah. Yeah. Bye. See you later. Thank you for the questions. Uh, Those were good answers, by the way. Thank you very much. They were very good questions. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, who who'd have thought you'd have been explaining that um, that problem <laughs> to uh, to a nine year old? You, perhaps you couldn't get back to um, your old um, university professor and uh, and let him. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the things I've never actually done and gone back to him and, and actually had the conversation with him. Um, but yeah, really? yeah, no, it's, um, I've, I've since moved away. So I've, I live somewhere else now, so it's not been an opportunity I've, I've really had to go back and, and talk, uh, but maybe yeah, at some point in the future, I should go and uh, say hello. Have you ever like, um, emailed or reached out in any way just to say like, you know, by the way, that whole thing that we talked about, the Benzantine, it's definitely solved. <laughs> yeah. You can, yeah. you can put a nail in it, stop teaching. <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately. Or, or, or adapt what you're teaching. <laughs> unfortunately, I've, I've no, it's. It's popped up a few times and I've kind of thought about it, but then, you know, this industry and this um, company as well, everything's so fast and so time consuming. I don't ever get time to actually um, go and reach out to them and just have the conversation, which, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe you've given me the uh, the 
poke there to sort of get moving and go and talk to them. Well, when this goes, um, when this drops, you can just send the link and um, yeah, of course. perhaps they can play it in the, in the classroom. <laughs> yes. um, so what, you know, what, what is the day-to-day of a CEO and a founder or co-founder of, um, of like a Bitcoin exchange? What's, um... Um, varied. <laughs> um, it varies. I, I'm still quite, I think, as the company's, we're still a fairly small company. Um, so we are still, I'm very hands-on with everything, I think, with tech department, with every sort of department, I still am quite hands-on. Um, I'm slowly coming, uh, stepping away a, a little bit from each department at the minute. And that's mainly because it's just too time-consuming. Uh, this industry, I guess I've been in the industry the longest um, in the team here, and I've I got the, I guess, the technical background as well uh, in terms of understanding how Bitcoin works um, and what scenarios we can end up with. You know, we get all the time things like Libra popping up and you know, Facebook are trying to push this and I have to go and research it, understand it, try and relay that information back to the team and explain things and see how it impacts not only the business but the industry and, and everything alongside it. So a lot of my role now at the minute is, um, I guess, looking after the team in general Um but a lot of it ends up being more keeping up to date on the industry and trying to bring that information back into the team uh, and seeing the direction of which or which direction to take the company, uh, which we've we've done recently with a few things, um, a few new products, and it's the, the cashback one was um, one. Sorry, I'm just um, shilling our products out here, which is not the point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the the cashback one was one we saw uh, quite a lot of demand in the US for the cashback schemes. Uh, Bitcoin cashback, should I say. And then we decided that, you know, we looked at that as actually something I was involved in um, back in 2010, 11, 12 time periods. I was doing a lot of affiliate marketing side. Um, so I knew all about the the cashbacks, uh, Quidco and Top Cashback and things like that in the UK. Um, and I actually did develop a Bitcoin one back in 2012, I think that was. Um, but that was way, way too early days. Um, and we ended up at that point, it was kind of no one was really interested. Nobody really knew what Bitcoin was and, and so on. So uh, we didn't really get any movement on that. Um, we kind of launched it and then a couple of months down the line, just it phased out and we, we got on something else. Um, so, yeah, we kind of brought that back more recent. Uh, so we bring, brought that back into the Coin Corner offering and all our customers now can get cash back in uh, any, I think we're around about just over 700 merchants now in the UK uh, and growing quite quickly. Uh, and expanding that hopefully to Europe shortly and uh, further afield as well shortly. Um, so yeah, day to day is is very varied, um, dependent on the industry movements, depending on uh, what's going on in the world. You know, I've if you heard the conversation with Charlie um, in the previous podcast about the losing the bank accounts and and that side of things, where you know one day we we've had it in the past many times. Uh, we'll be plodding along perfectly fine, um, operating with the bank accounts great. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a message from a bank account, uh, one of the banks saying, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to close your account and so on. And then, you know, your day-to-day changes at that point. And it's okay, now we need to go and sort a new bank account out and, and so on. Um, so it's it really is dependent on the industry movements and, and it varies. Um, so, yeah, no day is the same day. Uh, no day is a dull day. Um, it's certainly an experience in itself. You, yeah, I mean the the ups and downs of a of an entrepreneur, and um, I mean, do you still class yourself as a startup? I mean, at what point does a startup not 
become a startup anymore? Is there that kind of magic number of years? <laughs> Honestly, I asked myself that same question. I, I have no idea. Um, we still class ourselves as a startup. Um, I asked myself that same question. When do you, when do you stop becoming a startup? Uh, I'm sure there's some criteria out there that you could probably Google and, and find, I'm sure. But I think within inside the company, uh, we end up feeling still like a startup. We still operate like a startup. We move, I guess, and, and develop um, the system similar to uh, startup mentality as and we move quickly and we move fast. Uh, and if something pops up, like the cashback scheme side of things, we move quickly on that. And it allows us, we're not a big company that, for example, hundreds of employees, like, you know, your Coinbase is where, they have unfortunately got so many staff now, their, their development process becomes a, a much slower process. Um, so we do still operate it very similar to a startup, I would say. Uh, we're six years in now, but um, it doesn't really change. I think my uh, entrepreneurial side of things, I, I would love to keep it in a startup-esque mentality. Um, I think that really does help drive like with innovation uh, and it just helps drive a, a really sort of good, enthusiastic, um, exciting environment to, to be a part of. Um, and that's something I would love to keep going long-term, but I'm sure as we grow as a company, it will be harder and harder to keep and maintain that, um, without a doubt. Yeah, maybe Dunbar's <clears throat> number has something to play um, with the size of a company. Or maybe you just get regulated into the ground <laughs> yes. you're just pulled into the legacy business system. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I think the regulation will be playing a big part going forwards and that will yeah, definitely uh, halt on, let's not say halt, but it will slow down our, our development innovation and, and that's what it does, unfortunately. Um, we, I think, again, a bit similar to what I mentioned previously on um, being on the Isle of Man, we have a big e-gaming sector here and the e-gaming sector over the years has got more and more and more regulated. So it's been on our doorstep and we've watched this happen to one of the other sectors, which was a very big sector here in the Alaman. And you see, see the, uh, the regulators slowly clamping down on every little piece of, of their industry. And it's got to a point where they have been throttled in terms of their growth and a lot of the companies end up consolidating and, and so on. Uh, so we haven't seen that and that have been on our doorstep. I think we can expect that from our industry without a doubt. And we've, I guess, been fortunate enough to watch another industry, how that plays out. And we're preparing ourselves in, in that same manner, um, which, yeah, I wish it didn't work that way. Um, but unfortunately, that is just the way the world works a little bit. You have to play with it or um, fight against it in, in some manner, but it's very difficult. But e-gaming, do you, are you like referring to like the online gambling and like yes. you know, online casinos and things like that yes. rather than like, uh, you know, online FIFA competitions yeah. and stuff? Like, that's e-sports. Yeah, it? e-sports. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm referring to e-gaming like casinos and things, yeah. Right, okay. Um, so it, it sounds to me as though you, you were like right there at the beginning when Bitcoin kind of uh, dropped in everybody's laps, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of led you down the rabbit hole? Uh, I know you said about the, uh, the the solving the problem and finding about Bitcoin, and then going back and studying for exams and putting it to one side. But something must have pulled you back. Yeah, I think uh, what what happened was after the sort of two thousand nine period, I went uh, finished my exams and um, I went back to uh, focusing on just getting experience in the development world, in the real world. So I went and worked at a couple of um, e-commerce companies and um, an online startup, which eventually then got acquired. And um, we were then actually at the time, 
of working in that startup. Bitcoin kept popping up because we were looking for, we were, again, another small, um, exciting online startup. It was great fun in there, great company. Um, but then we were looking for a competitive advantage. We didn't have the, the VC funding that a couple of the competitors had. And we were looking for different angles of how to basically um, stand out from the competitors. Adding Bitcoin as a payment method was one of the options that we looked at because um, I'd heard about that in the past, obviously, and it did keep popping up. You saw it in the news. It was always aware on the tech blogs and uh, Reddit and things like that. So I was paying attention a little bit in the background there and it just popped up again and it was kind of like, oh, you know, we should, we should be adding this. Um, eventually, the the managing director at the time, he was sort of like, no, it, okay, it's a good idea, but nobody really knows about Bitcoin. This was 2011, 12 time. Um, nobody really knows about it. It's not really widely used and blah, blah, blah. So we ended up not adding that. And then eventually the company got acquired and we kind of moved on a little bit. Uh, then that was when we looked at the, we was doing a lot of the affiliate marketing. And then we was looking for a, uh, what we did was a bit of a spin on Quidco. And rather than give cash back, um, say you go and buy something for hundred pounds and you get uh, 10% cash back, you'd get 10 pound back. What we did uh, with our idea was rather than give £10 back to one person, we wanted to pool them £10 together and give one person back £100. So they'd get whatever the products is they bought for free. So we started doing that and we realized that we needed an uh, e-gaming license for it because it was classed as gambling because you were um, pooling the money together and it was kind of like a lottery, a raffle almost. So we needed a license. So we were looking at ways of getting around that and then Bitcoin popped up again. So we, we went to a, a lawyer at the time and we said to him, like, can we give back Bitcoin rather than uh, £100? And we'll give back £100 worth of Bitcoin. And he'd never heard of it, didn't know what it was. And then we tried to explain all that to him. And uh, he was kind of like, it's a bit of a gray area because, you know, you technically, yes, you could, because it's not a currency, which meant there was no value to it as such. Um, so it was a bit of a, a bit of a, it was too much of a gray area for us to continue and try and uh, really create a proper business modeler. Um, so we ended up, as I say there earlier on, it fizzled out and uh, we slowly left that and we, we came onto the mining side of things eventually. Again, Bitcoin side, obviously we'd still had Bitcoin on the radar. And we then, after that, we was looking at places to, well, during that time period as well, we was looking at places to buy Bitcoin and we, we did struggle. Uh, so we ended up mining Bitcoin rather than uh, buying it. Um, we did buy eventually. I think I was a bit bargain, I think was the first uh, exchange I think I went to or company I went to to buy some. Um, that was one of the UK ones back in the day. They are still going, um, but more, they're more like a local Bitcoin style for the UK. Um, so we ended up uh, mining a, a lot in terms of the, we started uh, with some graphics cards and we was plowing away with that. And we, we was more of a techie background and trying to play around with um, creating. We ended up with, uh, we did find a, a motherboard in the end. I can't remember the name of the motherboard is now. But the motherboard allowed us to have like six graphics cards running on the one motherboard. And we ended up with uh, these crazy setups of just stuff everywhere. It was it was a, a, a nice mess almost, um, which was a great experience trying to run it all and trying to uh, mine all the... We ended up on the altcoins eventually because ASICs came around and kind of uh, destroyed the, the hopes and dreams of uh, mining Bitcoin with GPUs. So... Um, it was uh, a good experience, let's put it that way. And it was uh, it was great fun, to be honest, the whole process of that. It really got us into the Bitcoin side. Um, so yeah, eventually after that, once we were in Bitcoin, um, the mining was slowly coming to an end because the electricity costs here in the Alaman are the same as the UK. It's, you know, it's not 
um, anything worth. We can't really compete with the US even or, or China or Iceland or anywhere. So we were we were just not competitive in terms of that uh, business model really. So we looked at wanting to stay into the industry. I think we'd spent so many so much time now or years dipping our toes in and out of it all the time with various concepts and ideas. We really want to stay in that space. So we figured like, you know, what's the next, mm-hmm. next sort of business model that we could look at uh, to stay within the industry. And the, the obvious one that was kind of um, shouting at us and screaming in our face was an exchange because, you know, we struggle with that problem in the UK of being able to buy Bitcoins easily. So, you know, why not solve that problem, which is exactly what we tried to do. Um, and then obviously Coin Corner, came about, um, sorry about that, uh, Coin Corner came about in 2014 and yeah, still still uh, plumbing away here six years later. Mining Bitcoin back in the day, I can't even imagine like uh, the thrill <laughs> that might have um, given people when those first like Bitcoin just dropped in. Uh, but yeah. Could you like... For, for, you know, many people coming to the space, they'll never be exposed to that um, because this was early, yeah. the, the early days. This is how people got into it in, um, you know, a very kind of roundabout manner. Um, could you explain, like, in a, in a kind of noobs, like, how did that feel when, when you've solved? Well, first of all, you've got to, you know, talk about um, the hashing and, um, you know, solving the, um, the, the cryptography and... Um, just, just run us through what that might look like. In terms of how a miner works, we're talking here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the, the, the problem a miner solves is uh, they're just trying to do lots of calculations to come up with the answer and the answer that the, the, the network is looking for. Um, and I think one of the things actually with mining, a lot of the time people think that the miners are sending the transactions around the network and, and they're the ones that are processed. They, they, they process the transactions as such and the, you know, the nodes are passing the transactions around the network and appreciate then a miner actually runs a node in theory. Um, so the, the miner is in theory in that collection of sending the transactions around the world, but it's, it's the nodes around the world that are actually sending the transactions around. The miner is just taking them transactions, grouping them into a, a block or a, a, let's say, just keep it simple, a one megabyte size block um, and then piece of data, and then they're trying to effectively create a calculation that stores them onto the blockchain, and they're just looking for that right answer. Um, and once that's in there and that's confirmed, they get the right answer, that gets added to the blockchain, and that's your first confirmation. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes feel like, hopefully that's a nice, simple explanation of <laughs> how mining works, um, because I know a lot of people, it's always a question that comes up, but I think it's always a question that, it's similar to the internet. You don't necessarily need to know how it's working behind the scenes, but it's nice to know sometimes of, of how it is working. Um, but it's not more, much more complicated than, than that. It is a lot more complicated behind the scenes, but um, on the surface of it, it's, it's fairly straightforward, I think. And people tend to overcomplicate things a lot in this industry. Um, so one of the things I always try to do is to simplify things again and, and come back the other direction uh, and really pull it back to um, what does this mean, um, which um, I am struggling it's, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, a complete tangent. Um, one of the ones that pops been popping up a lot recently is the whole DeFi stuff. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of the DeFi side of things or... <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> well, this this was kind of our... We had a, a big discussion on it a couple of weeks back in the office and, and talking it through. Um, and one of the things... It, 
it kind of frustrates me sometimes what the the DeFi angle, or it's not just DeFi, there's been other things in the past as well, the ICOs and things, they end up overcomplicating something and there's typically a reason for that. And, you know, the reason for that is to um, kind of mask what's really behind the scenes of it and what's really going home with it, what's the actual product. And I, I'm still, I, I've been meaning to put this out on, on Twitter, maybe I should put this out and just say, you know, what's um, uh, looking for a loan to buy a car, let's say. Um, point me in the direction of a DeFi product that can do that for me. Um, because I think a lot of the time people are saying, oh, DeFi is like you can get loans and X, Y, and Z. And you see you're hearing these flash loans. There was there was one only yesterday, I think, that got, um, I don't want to say hacked because it was, it was uh, again, a similar flash loan-esque style attack, I think. And they stole, I think it was just short of a million dollars. It was five, six hundred thousand dollars worth of um, Ethereum and some other token, whatever the token was. Um but they, it's that complication there where people are talking about DeFi and people are thinking it's long. The end users kind of thinking, oh, I can go and get my loan that I would get from my bank to buy a car um, from DeFi and something. But it's not necessarily, uh, I don't even think as far as I'm aware, there's nobody really building that style of loans. It's a completely different um, concept of what they're trying to build in the background there. And it ends up being so overly complicated nobody really understands what it is apart from the guys that are effectively creating it and um, a lot of it still I still keep coming back to them asking myself the same question you know what is pick any one of them and and ask them to explain just in, in layman's terms what is this product you're you're creating there or what are you trying to sell to people uh, and it ends up being so overly complex and complicated in an answer that you know you switch off listening halfway through because it's just not making sense um, so I do Probably like people have just done to me there. Very long-winded answer <laughs> to explain that I always like to try and bring people back to a simplistic uh, view and explanation of things rather than complicating it. Because a lot of the time you can use big fancy words, but there's also small, easy words that people can understand that you can use just as good an equivalent to explain the product or the scenario. Um, so yeah, sorry, off on a real big tangent there. <laughs> no, it's good, man. It's good. I, I I told you we'd get down some rabbit holes. So um, yeah, the whole DeFi thing. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't even know what it stands for. I don't care for it. No. It's um, you know, stick to Bitcoin. That's uh, about as um, yeah. It doesn't. All need to... I can really um, say to people. Yeah. Um, just you know. doesn't need to be overcomplicated, I think, as well. And it's it's just um, unnecessary. And unfortunately, I know people do that a lot with Bitcoin as well. And it's kind of a natural thing for technology. I think people want to understand what they're using almost. And it does become a complicated conversation sometimes. But it's it's I try and use, I guess, analogies and uh, sort of linking all the time to uh, email and post and things like that, which is the old school way of trying to explain Bitcoin to people. But um, it still works and it still helps the, the general public understands the, the concepts of how it works and what it is and what it's doing. Um, so I do still try and pull people back to that way if possible uh, without the complication. So if I go back to like um, how we got into that that particular subject, um, do you remember that feeling when the, you rewarded yourselves those first Bitcoin from, from mining? Um, I don't think I remember. I, I, I don't want to lie and say yes. <laughs> Because I remember, I don't remember the very first time. I remember the, um, I remember probably more of the, when it was the bigger volumes. And so we started mining with just a, I think we bought maybe three, three or four computers, which all had two graphics cards on them. Um, and we was mining with that, so we weren't doing anything of scale. But then I think it became more real when we ended up with 
um, I think it was close to one to 200. I think it's about 150, actually, about 150 what would have been computers or 150 motherboards. We didn't end up shelling them in a computer. We just ended up with the motherboards open because they were too hot anyway, so we needed to cool them. The easiest way was just leave them open. Um, So we ended up with about 150 motherboards with, um, I think it's between four to six graphics cards. We managed to uh, patch onto each one of them. So all of a sudden it was like the day we turned that on and we got that moving, that was exciting <laughs> um, where were you where was this this couldn't have been in your bedroom um, like you, you, you... <laughs> we started it in uh, one of the co-founders uh, originally was software company in there in his garage so we was already working away in there and we started with a couple of small computers in there and then we got to a point where it was um it was coming up to christmas actually so it wasn't too bad but it was it was cold outside but it was hot in there and it was getting too hot inside uh, in the garage. So we ended up having to move out and we went and got an office in, in town, which we should have done as a normal business. Um, but as a technology startup, you, you kind of, the, the garage startup is always the typical one, I guess. Uh, so we ended up taking over the garage a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, we got to a point in there as well where we blew the electrics on the house about three, maybe about three or four times. And we had to, so it kept uh, shorting out and uh, he had to keep resetting his electric and so on. So it ended up being a hassle in the end. So we ended up moving that out into a warehouse eventually. And we got a little warehouse that we housed a, a load of rigs in there and uh, set it all up. And uh, we tried to go quite heavy on it and, and tried to move. Unfortunately, we couldn't move as fast as the industry moved with the ASICs. And uh, that kind of killed it a little bit for us. Once the ASICs started to come into play, it became just non-competitive and it was short-lived, probably that, which was a, a real shame, and it was it was a big kick, I think, at the time as well. We, we thought you could see something working, and we had like a you know three or four months where it was working and it was making money, and it was it was literally printing money. It was a weird feeling. That was a weird feeling, um, but then it got to a point, obviously, where it became unrealistic from the the financial perspective on the electric, and that was a real dampener, and it was uh, it, it was disheartening that I think, which was. Uh, a good lesson to go through, I think, and seeing the the mining project fail, um, which I think one of the big things you learn quite heavily from a lot of the failures. Uh, I've had plenty of failed uh, startup ideas and concepts that we've done over the years, and eventually, hopefully, CoinCorn is six years old now, still going, and hopefully, we'll continue for the next, you know, coming years. Mate, so yeah, like printing money, like you said, um, when. I mean, how many times a day? Sorry if I'm asking, if I'm sticking on this too long. It just fascinates me. <laughs> but like, how many times a day do you think like you'd like win that lottery? So to like to use an analogy of um, you know solving the the, the problem and, and winning the Bitcoin. Um, what have we got now? So. When we was only on a small, so a lot of the time we ended up in mining pools as well. So the mining pool would mm-hmm. be aggregating hashing rates from uh, power from lots of computers all around the world into one pool. So we were getting paid out from effectively the pool, which then meant we weren't getting the full rewards of a a single block. We were getting the rewards of a block split between X, Y, and Z, a number of uh, miners around the world. Um, So we were getting them fairly regular. I think... is this in the days when the, the block reward was 50 or did you um, move to 25? No, it was 20. Um, oof, that's a good question, actually. It might have been a crossover at the time, so it might have been the first halving, so we might have just passed the first halving, potentially, yeah. Probably just passed the first halving. Was that 20? I can't remember. I think it was just around. It must have been a crossover period almost, so I think it would have been 
now you've stumped me. <laughs> I can't remember my dates. <laughs> um, I'll have to dig that one out and let you know that one. No problem. Um, we'll see that. Um, I've got, I've got actually a very, I don't know if you've seen it before. I've posted it on Twitter before. I think the picture of the mining setup and the, all the rigs that we had. So I can, I can share that with you as well, which is, uh, uh, it's, it's good, good picture. Um, it's, it's good one that I think for us to look back at as well and see the memories of that, which was really good. Um, but yeah, I think very cool to your, to your original question. I can't quite remember. We probably three or four payouts, I think from the mining pool a day. Um, but they weren't, we were a small hashing rate in that mining pool, um, in reality. So it wasn't like we were getting the, anywhere near the 25 or 50 of whatever the reward was at the time. Uh, we were getting much smaller payouts, uh, obviously granted back at the day, they weren't worth too much. Um, so it was only when, um, you know, you might've still got five or six Bitcoins paid out at a time, which, you know, back then it's, it's nothing compared to today where <laughs> five or six Bitcoins a day, uh, every three or four times a day would, you know, be quite nice as a payout on mine. Um, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think people don't understand, um, either that, uh, you know, that, those rewards that you were getting, they would have to be sold to cover the cost of the electricity and, um, you know, to keep <clears throat> scaling up your, your operation. It's not like you could just, oh, wow, brilliant, money's raining down and just keep it. Yeah, I think, yes, completely. That That is one I think a lot of people do miss. Um, and I think we ended up, similar to the, the exchange piece of it as well, you know, we, the group of us, you know, we have a couple of co-founders and we were in early days, but you end up uh, using a lot of them bitcoins over time to be you know we used a lot of that to say fund the business because we very much self-funded along the way uh, and it's unfortunately i think over time you know we, we've known people throughout the history of it where they bought thousands of bitcoins very early on in like you know 2010 and stuff like that but then by the time it got to 2015 16 they'd sold so much of it they were down to like single digit bitcoins and because people i think as well back in the, uh, the early days they didn't I don't know if they didn't expect it, but they, they, you know, maybe saw they did have like a thousand bitcoins, and Bitcoin went to a hundred dollars, and all of a sudden it was like it's a lot of money, and they, you know, it's, they feel stupid not to sell it or not to, to do something with it, and it, I think for and there's not many people I think around. I think that's probably quite a misconception. I think there's probably quite a lot of people seem to think that if you got in back in 2009, 10, 11, 12 periods, you would have thousands of bitcoins now, but. Generally, the, the people I know from within the industry uh, typically have sold it over time as time's gone on, whether they need to sell it because they need to live or they need to fund in a business or, um, you know, they've sold it because they thought the price has gone to $100 or even to when it went to $1,000, they were selling it. And, you know, we're nearly at just short of $10,000 now and, and people just didn't expect that, I think, back in the back in the day. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, certainly I feel like um, a little bit of, misconception almost if that's the right word yeah 100 percent, mate you know people think oh it's all, all great for the guys that got in early um but i've tried to explain it you know oh if if on, people say oh if only i'd have known about it yeah you know, dan you're too late like you, why didn't you tell me about this 10 years ago sort of thing i'm like okay i could have told you about 10 years ago and you could have bought it at a dollar i guarantee you would have sold it all at 10 <laughs> yeah and you would <laughs> now be unhappier yeah. With me, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, there's no way in the world you'd have held it all the way. No. And oh, yeah, I would have done. You, you, you like, you, you deluded. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, just... Hindsight, it's easy with hindsight, but with, like, yeah, you're completely correct. There's, there's very, very few people, I think, around the world that has, um, I guess, also a couple of scenarios that have been brave enough to hold it throughout that whole time period and to still hold it now. 
um, and also been in the fortunate position to be able to hold it all the way through to now. Because um, I know a lot of people have had to sell it because they've needed it for all sorts of reasons in their life. Um, there's only probably um, two or three people maybe that I, I know within the space that have managed to hold um, very large amounts and they've held it since, you know, 2010, 11 times. And, and you know, they've they've been brave or they've been um, confident maybe in, in where Bitcoin's going to go eventually. Uh, so it's nice to see some do, but it's very, very small amount do that I'm, that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's lots of lots more out there that I've never spoken to and, and I'm not aware of, but I think it's a lot smaller amount than people expect. Yeah. And for those people that are just coming in and think it's too late, um, you know, I just want to drive the point home that I think we're both trying to make. It's not too late. <laughs> um, you know, just start stacking sets because I, I don't want to play like a price prediction game, but I mean... Come on, yeah. Like you know, where, where's this going? Like really? <laughs> if you're in the space, you believe the price is going up. It's it's an investment store of value. It's it's the people treat it that way now. I think especially after the the March crash this year and the year we've had this year so far, um, it's proved its worth. It's proved its position in in the world. I think as a some form of global asset, or it depends on you want to call it a safe haven asset or um, just an asset or a currency, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's irrelevant. It's it's proved its position. And it's it's here to stay, I think, um, long-term, which is good to see. I think one of, um, sorry, jumped onto Charlie's questions from the other week. Uh, and Charlie's question was, you know, what, if somebody's, if somebody asked you 10 years ago, like 2010 or whatever, where, where do you want Bitcoin in 10 years time? Do you think it's, um, come to where you're happy with it? Or would you be happy with it where it is now? And I've never, a question I've never really thought of before. No one's really asked. And, and then you actually think about it and think, okay, well, actually, um, yeah, we, we're 10 years later, Bitcoin's alive and kicking and, and pretty strong right now, especially going through the current crisis we've just been through. So actually, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good place for it to be at the minute. It's it's um, unbelievably strong position as an asset compared to uh, other things. I know we're seeing uh, stock market being incredibly pumped at the minute um, in a direction and it's something that is just not feasible uh, in the long term. Uh, it's got to come crashing down at some point soon, I'm sure. Uh, we're seeing Tesla, and no offense to Tesla, but their price at the minute is just ridiculous. Um, but it's, it keeps going. But it's you know they're the ones that you've got to assume is a correction coming. Um, whereas yeah, Bitcoin I think has just solidified itself in a position within the world of where that quite is. I think people are still trying to understand, but um, it's certainly there and it's on everybody's radar and. You're seeing more and more and more people taking um, exposure to it along the way. And suddenly we're in this position where this invisible internet money is about the only thing that makes any kind of sense. <clears throat> Which is crazy. <laughs> Especially, I mean, we love the uh, the wizard, um, the magic internet money wizard and the logo that we did the pair of socks for. And it's just, it, that is literally the, the community back then. That's a perfect example of, you know, this crazy internet money that all of a sudden is, we're in 2020 and it's the thing that makes the most sense, which is just, it shows how crazy the world sometimes is, the direction it goes. It really does. <clears throat> and um, yeah, very exciting uh, for this decade. I think it's going to be, um, we've cleared the first decade of Bitcoin and, you know, the think back of like, you know, what's been going on throughout that, that just kind of like uh, settling in phase. Yeah. Now, I mean, this next decade. It's hopefully going to start moving. <laughs> I mean, look out. 
look out. But, you know, and I think many of us here would say, you know, not too qu- not too quickly, not 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 just yet. Let's let's try and get as many more people involved as possible on the ground floor. Which you know, ten grand people might think, what are you talking about? Ten grand the ground floor in US dollar terms, um, but it is is going to be. Uh, we're going to look back at this time and like, oh my good god, we could have got it at this cheap. Yeah, and I think you put a tweet out the other day actually, which um, you know is very uh, it's a stark reminder. One Satoshi equals zero point zero 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 nine two of a cent, I believe. Yeah, or, yeah, of, a, yeah. yeah of a dollar. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it was, th- Bitcoin is not Bitcoin is not expensive. Yeah, like if you know, I, I guess I was, a little bit of that was trying to just get across the point. I saw there was um, there was a similar one about I think somebody had tweeted it. It was a I can't remember who it was now. He was coming from the financial world and have, seems to have quite a lot of followers and, and seems to have some sort of traction. And he's tweeting saying, you know, um, saying effectively like Bitcoin is too expensive. What else can I buy? And it was kind of that angle of people think like, you know, it's nearly $10,000. $10,000, okay, fair enough, can be expensive, but you don't have to buy $10,000 with. You can buy $10 with. You can buy $100 with. You can buy um, small amounts. You don't need to buy, you know, the full one Bitcoin. Um, so I was trying to get across the point that if you're looking and it kind of come off a little bit the doggy coin thing as well, um, which or Dogecoin or whatever we want to pronounce it. I know um, <laughs> Molly actually put a tweet out the other day with a poll uh, saying about how does everybody pronounce uh, Dogecoin, and um, I've always said doggy coin. Just I don't know why it's just been one of them things. Um, but um, we saw the TikTok video of that, and after seeing the TikTok video, people are saying, okay, well it's, it costs this much and it's pennies and if it goes up by 100x, we're all going to make thousands or millions or, or whatever it is. And it's trying to pull away from that mentality. We saw that back in 2017. Uh, we saw a lot of the like your Ripples and um, even Ethereum and things like that, where a lot of these coins were popping up, but they were popping up and they were just cheap. So people, rather than buying Bitcoins because they thought they'd missed out, they were then buying these other coins because they were cheap. And uh, we had, I even spoke to people with uh, Ripple as a good example one where they were wanting to buy Ripple, but they wanted to buy it because it was cheap and it wasn't thousands of dollars. And they thought that they don't understand anything behind the scenes. They don't know, like, you know, Bitcoin has 21 million. Ripple has, God knows how many billions it's got. I'm lost count of what their their actual cap is at the end. Um, but they're thinking that, you know, it's 10 cent now uh, per Ripple coin. So XRP now, sorry. Um, and if that goes to $10,000, I'm going to make millions. So I'll just go and buy a hundred quid of that. And it's not, they don't quite understand the concept. So I'm trying to help as well, push that out more into the public of explaining that Bitcoin isn't, um, isn't expensive is, is the way to put it there. It's uh, hopefully in the long run, it's going to go up in value regardless. And it's moving that mentality away from they've missed out on Bitcoin and it's too late and they need to go and look for the next Bitcoin and jump on these other altcoins that are, or tokens that are not, particularly uh, credible in the background as projects as a whole. And they, I guess in one way, it's kind of like trying to help protect the end consumer and the end the, the public that they don't just go buying these random coins because they think they're cheap and they're going to make more money on the higher risk, higher reward sort of attitude, I guess. Um, but no, it's, it's definitely trying to bring that point back to, to people that Bitcoin, you've not missed out on it. It's still the early days. There's in reality, I don't feel like there's any such thing as missed out on it. Um, the the concept and the way Bitcoin is created is the finite amount of 21 million means that in theory it's always going to go up in value um, against a, a stable 
don't sort of say stablecoin, but a currency such as uh, US dollar or, or GBP or something. Um, so it's the way it's built. It's built to do that. Um, so, you know, there's no such thing as missing out and, and not being early enough. Um, we're all still early now. And um, I think people, you know, I'm still continuing to, to buy myself and I'm sure the rest of the, the industry is as well. And that'll continue for foreseeable future, I would say. Yeah, let's hope so. And I want to just dwell on this um, a little bit and, and ask you a few more questions around that. And uh, then we'll get on to um, Bitcoin Core and um, your work with that. It, it clearly, like, so like dead set on helping people buy Bitcoin and understand Bitcoin and not go down the route of the other coins. Um, I do know, I mean, you, you have listed on um, on Coin Corner some other coins. Yep. Um, is there ever a regret there, or is that like a necessary <laughs> evil? Um, what's what's the the take on that? Yeah, there was. Um, so that was we didn't actually originally when we launched it was um, Doggy Coin, Litecoin, and Bitcoin, and we launched with them three because they were more the popular ones at the time. We were still early days in the industry. Um, we eventually took the uh, the other two away and just stuck with Bitcoin because. There was just no demand for it. The demand just was, it was not there and it was not worth the overhead within the business to maintain it. Um, so we brought them way back, went back to Bitcoin only. We then, come 2017, uh, we saw the altcoins, altcoins rising and we saw ICO tokens popping up and all sorts of things popping up. So we were, um, at the time, um, we were looking actually for investment at the time and we was kind of going through a couple of VCs and a couple of uh, other high net worths and things like that. And they were then asking the questions, you know, why have we only got Bitcoin? Why are we not adding these other tokens, these other coins? Uh, and we we tried to explain them sort of things. And it was because I think, I guess, we were a little bit early in the industry still, it was, it was quite a hard conversation. And we were getting some customer demand from it to buy uh, XRP and Ethereum. Uh, so we got to a point where there was a little bit of demand there. We kind of didn't want to turn that away to some extent, but at the same time, we were still very much, you know, Bitcoin is the, the king and the Bitcoin will be the long-term one. And, you know, we'll, we'll put these on as a trial to see if there's actually, when we're getting this demand, it's hard to tell sometimes. Is it, say, for example, the XRP uh, demand starts coming and we get an email saying, you know, when are you going to add XRP? It's hard to tell if that's real demand or whether that's just, uh, an XRP army guy trying to just push onto us and trying to get it added to the exchange so they can get more people buying it. Um, so we did it a little, a little bit of a trial. So you can't, you can just get exposure to uh, Ethereum, Ripple, and Litecoin now. Um, so we did that as a trial back in 2018, I think that was when we first added them uh, to see if the demand was real and see if that, you know, that them emails we kept getting to add X, Y, and Z was actually real. And we now, I think we're towards about 95% of our volume is Bitcoin and the 5% is made up of the other three. So it's, and that's getting worse and worse in favor of Bitcoin, obviously. So Bitcoin's moving up and up. It was 92%, I think, a year ago, and we're towards 95% now in Bitcoin. So it's slowly dying. The other coins are dying and dying and dying. So um, I think eventually we would like to come to back to Bitcoin only. Uh, we've just released our uh, payment gateway at the minute. So getting businesses in the UK to be accepting Bitcoin as a payment method, uh, and that's Bitcoin only. And we are most likely to stick with Bitcoin only for that as well. Um, as much as the other ones have got some sort of credibility now with Ethereum and Ripple, they, you know, they're two of the big ones that people talk about. 
and they do have some credibility behind them in terms of the team and, and so on, but they don't, um, they're not built for payments either. Uh, you know, Ripple's built to um, be a settlement layer for the banks and effectively be the new Swift. And uh, Ethereum's built based off like being a smart contract platform and being able to build projects on top of it rather than it be a payment currency itself. So they're not really built for that in that way either. Um, and I think the the majority of altcoins and tokens and everything else are purely speculative um, interests for people. They're not really used by anybody. Uh, we've seen that already. We've done research on percentages of people actually using other altcoins and other uh, tokens to actually make payments and do things online. And it's, it's slim to none that actually people using them. Uh, the demand effectively comes from their communities that are trying to push the coins and uh, you end up with bots on Twitter tweeting at you every two seconds. And I've had a few of them, which was the, the Tron coin, which um, the, I had the bots on me for about two months. That, that every time I tweeted, there was about three or four comments straight away from Tron bots that were hitting me. Um, eventually, Tron has been shut down now and, and finished and disappeared. But even after that got shut down, I still had them bots on me for about another month, I think, after they shut down. So it's just like, it's obvious, you know, they are just bots. They're not people. Um, so yeah, the demand, unfortunately, kind of drove the uh, the trial, shall we say, uh, for adding the altcoins. Um, but no, myself and uh, the team here pretty much is Bitcoin-only mentality. Um, not from a closed-minded perspective. I do still pay attention to all the other coins and all the other projects. And I try and, you know, can't keep up with them all because it's just ridiculous now how many there is. Um, but I do like to try and keep on top of it and, you know, seeing what's what's new, what's interesting. Um, because it's it's part of, I guess, my my role in the company and my role in, in the industry. I get asked all the time from people outside of the industry, what's this coin and what's that coin and what's this? what about this blockchain project and X, Y, and Z. And I, I try to keep on top of understanding it all, but, um, you know, I'm still yet to see anything of, of value or, or use um, in the world, really, apart from uh, Bitcoin at the minute. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Well, um, I want to talk about Bitcoin Core. Uh, because not something I've ever spoken about before or learned about. And um, I do not come from uh, the, the technical background and don't really understand exactly what's going on. But it says in your Twitter, uh, Bitcoin contributor. So could you just um, give us an overview? Um, you can treat me as a nine-year-old <laughs> and um, explain you know, what Bitcoin Core is and what it means to be a Bitcoin contributor and what that work might look like, whether that's... Um, like code or um, written material? I don't know. Um, okay, yeah. So Bitcoin Core is the software um, that is kind of used predominantly throughout the industry to run a Bitcoin wallet. Um, it's the main uh, implementation of it, which all of the sort of core devs, as we refer to people, um, core developers, uh, they all work on, um, not all of them, some of them work on, on various um, chains of it. Uh, or side projects of it, but yeah, they, they effectively work on, on Bitcoin Core, which is the piece of software, the wallet that runs Bitcoin. Um, all the major developments really get done, all the actual breakthroughs and things like that, the, with your, your SegWit, I'm sure you heard about SegWit back in the uh, two or three years ago now, and um, we've got Taproot and Schnorr signatures and things like that coming up soon, hopefully, um, which they're all the, the major developments and they all get pushed into to Bitcoin Core, this piece of software. It's an open source piece of software, so anybody can contribute to it around the world. Um, when we say anybody can contribute it, a, a simple process would be, you know, you 
go onto the uh, GitHub, which is the, the website where the repository sits with all the, the code. And you can edit the code, change the code how you want. You'll submit that change and say, I've changed you know, this, I've changed this um, color, this black color of text to red, for example, or, or whatever you want to change. And you submit that. The rest of the community on there, the other devs, they'll vet it and test it and see how, you know, what it impacts and does it does it solve a problem for one actually, or you just put it in for the sake of it and it'll just get rejected. Um, but then they'll come to a consensus on there of like, is this improvement good enough to be in the, the build and the release? And it'll eventually get pushed in um, to the software and then it'll go live onto the software. Um, so that's a very, very high level um, uh walk through, I guess, as such of the process of, of what you will do as a developer to try and come and contribute to it. Um, I've originally going back, so I have contributed to Bitcoin Core. I think I've got two contributions at the minute. Uh, nothing major, so I'm not um, the the level of um, some of the core devs which are delving in and creating the, the likes of Schnorr signatures and the SegWit release and things like that. Um, mainly, I just don't have the time to, to do that, unfortunately. I'd love to be able to, to jump in and get involved in uh, at that level. But unfortunately, it's time with running a, a Bitcoin exchange. <laughs> at the same time, as keeping on top of the industry as a whole in terms of the news um, development is uh, low down on my priority list these days, unfortunately. Um, but what I wanted to do, uh, going back, I mean, when I first got into Bitcoin, myself and the co-founders, we did download the wallet, we played around with it, um, we created our own altcoin, um, played around with that. Uh, it was just kind of a bit more of a bit of fun, really, just to understand it a bit better. And we didn't really do much with it. And then we got distracted starting the business, running the business and, and so on. So we didn't really do much more with it. I've always wanted over the years, I've always wanted to contribute back to the community. So contributing back to Bitcoin Core and the infrastructure in itself, um, I think that's a great thing for companies like ourselves to do. And I think it's something that more companies should be doing. I know Square in the US are, are now doing that much more, which is great to see. Um, I think uh, Kraken and a couple of others have recently been giving out grants to some of the core developers as well, which is really good. Um, and that's great to see. I'm, I'm glad that's that's finally happening. Um, it's took some years to do, but we're getting there now. Um, so coming back to about a year ago, um, myself and some of the tech guys here, I, I sort of sat them down and said, you know, you guys don't know massive amounts about this, this uh, the Bitcoin core development side, and I want to get you guys to understand it a little bit more. And what we'll do is we'll spend some time within the company to sit down, go through it. I'll talk you through it all, show you how everything works. And we, we went through together as a team, understanding all the mechanics, I guess, behind it a little bit, and then uh, how to actually create a, your first pull request. A pull request is what they call it when you're uh, submitting your change effectively to the, the system, to the software. Um, so we went through creating the first pull requests and getting everybody to get involved in it. The idea of that was a little bit to see if I could get the guys in here involved and see if they wanted to then continue to contribute to, to Bitcoin because you know I felt that, I feel that's quite an important piece for companies like ourselves. We've built our company on Bitcoin at the end of the day and we have Bitcoin and the core devs to thank for that. Um, so it's, it's kind of frustrating when we see um, the bigger companies around the world that have the funds and have the capabilities and the resources to put something like this, but they just don't do it. And they're just more focused on creating their company and building that and, and making themselves money. Um, but they've built that on the back of Bitcoin at the end of the day and the back of the contributions from the core team and the, the community around that. Um, so we ended up in 
October, I think, was the sort of first time our team started to get some of the contributions, um, myself included, and uh, three of the other guys as well. And they all got their contributions, their first contributions to it, um, pushing that through. Uh, they were all very small changes and it was all just slowly starting to understand the process. And uh, with the core development, we want to get more people outside of the industry as well and even inside the industry involved in it and get them you know, contributing where they can. And sometimes it's not, again, I'm going back to this sim- uh, simplifying everything and the simplicity uh, explanations where it, Bitcoin can be scary and it seems scary. But when you actually delve into it, it's just a piece of software, the same as any other piece of software around the world. And you need to, you don't need to jump in and work on Schnorr signatures and Taproot and, you know, that level of um, complexity and that level of, of detail. You can work on, there's lots of things around it. There's lots of problems around Bitcoin Core that can need to be fixed and need to be dealt with. The, the devs that are working on Schnorr signatures don't really want to spend, you know, they, their time's best spent working on Schnorr, their best their time is not best spent working on changing a couple of text fixes that are not quite right and, and changing a box because it's popping up wrong and incorrect and stuff. That's not where their time's best spent. So I think a lot of core contributors, generally they'll come in and they'll make the simple changes first and you have something called a, a good first um, good first pull request effectively, which uh, or good first issue, sorry. And the good first issues are ones that are for new people coming in that want to just dip their toes in and start getting into it. And there's lots of them out there and you can just come onto GitHub, you can look through the list of them and you can see which ones you think you might be capable of doing. And it'll then let you sort of get involved a little bit and start the development process. Um, and a lot of them are simple changes. They're not complex. They're not complicated programming uh, side of things. They, they are very simple changes. Um, it just it can take time just to do your first simple one. Uh, we, we did find um, one of our, our team members... Uh, it was a very ironic um, pull request he did. Uh, he did one where the the he was changing some doc, some documentation basically within Bitcoin Core that explained how to do um, rebasing, which is um, kind of. Uh, compiling all the files you've changed into from lots of them to say one, and then it, it pushes it, or not the files, but the, the changes into one, and it's, it's called something called something called rebasing. And he was creating some documentation to explain how to do that. And during that process, he messed the rebasing up, and <laughs> that has now gone down. I think if you look back at his request, you can see he ended up rebasing things a, a number of times to actually get this change in to explain how to do what he was messing up. Um, so it was a very ironic change, but there's sometimes they are little changes like that, but then that's now got, he's got his head around how all that works in the process. So, um, he's able to now, um, hopefully help explain that to people and hopefully help, uh, himself and his technical knowledge of being able to jump in and get involved. Um, so yeah, the, what we, we did also another, um, sorry, jump in if I'm rambling on here, I'm sort of <laughs> going and going and going, um, he, uh, we actually, after that, after we'd done that, the idea of what we wanted to do was help show the rest of the world a little bit of how to actually get involved in the Bitcoin core development. We're always, the industry is always shouting for more developers to get involved. And it's not just also coding as well. A big part of it is just reviewing other people's code. So we need more people to come uh, review all the code changes that, um, you know, say I've 
committed something i've um submitted a, a new pull request i need people to go onto that test that code check it all works say not only does it work but you know does it make sense for that change to be in there so you need people to come on and constantly be reviewing it um and that's something we are still massively short on but reviewing it is a good way to dip your toes in and slowly start to get involved um so more and more people um doing that would be much much better um, but we ended up starting a, we created a walkthrough. So a Windows one, a Linux one, and a Mac uh, walkthrough. So all the different platforms and how you actually go from start to finish, basically creating uh, your first pull request from very beginning, setting up Bitcoin Core um, on whatever environment it is you're, you're trying to run it on. And then eventually through to actually getting your successful commit um, into the, the actual software. And we've done a couple of walkthroughs there, both on um, Medium, I think we've posted them both on. Uh, sorry to say both. Windows and Mac has been released. The Linux one's still um, being touched up, I think, and finished. Um, but that the idea of that is we've, I guess, a little bit put the groundwork in to create a, a walkthrough for other people to try and hopefully get this out to people and they can start seeing how to get involved. And it's the walkthrough in theory. It shows that you know, it's not this big, complicated, scary thing. You can come and get involved. Here's the steps. Very simple, simply laid out. And the actual change that um, myself and uh, one of the tech guys did, who I did the Windows one, he did the Mac one, and it shows our changes and our, our, pull, our first commits, basically our first um, commits to the to the code itself, to the software. Uh, and they are very, very simple changes. They were nothing, they're like one or two lines of changed code. Um, so it highlights that, you know, it's not, you don't have to come in and start writing, you know, 10,000 lines of code to make a change. It's very simple. Uh, so hopefully oh. that will encourage more and more people to get involved along the way. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, for, for anybody, you know, out there with the, that kind of skill set that have just not even thought about this before, um, go on and check out. So where can people find that that walkthrough so they can uh, just dip their toe in? <clears throat> um, that's on Coin Corners Medium. Um, so I can, it's usually pinned, one of my pinned tweets. I usually keep it as a pinned tweet, but I don't think it is at the minute. Um, but I will put that back to my pinned tweet after the show. Um, so anyone that's looking for it will be able to find that on there. Um, yeah, your print, your, your pinned tweet is proud to have contributed and uh, three other Coin, Coin Corner yeah. team members also contributing to this release. So um, there's the article about like the release that uh, you've contributed to. Cool, great. Okay, excellent. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, what's going on in the Isle of Man because uh, for those listeners that um, might not know what the Isle of Man is or even where it is for, for those listening from, um, you know, uh, abroad. Um, how, how, well, how would I know it? What do I know it as? It's like a, a tax-free <clears throat> kind of haven for companies or high net worth individuals to go and kind of camp out, um, kind of still under UK law and regulation and government, but without uh, the tax or a lesser tax. Is that correct? Um ish <laughs> we, <laughs> honestly I, I mean i've been living here for coming up to 10 years now um and the question sometimes still is you know is the Alaman in the uk and it's kind of like mm, yeah it kind of is but it isn't it's kind of it's in great britain but not quite the uk um so there's still the arguments all the time on what it's included under um it is its own it's a little island between um the uk and ireland itself um so we're just in the, the middle of the sea there um, it's classed as an offshore jurisdiction, as you say in there. Um, tax differs 
um, slightly. There's income taxes generally. It's a little bit better than the UK, but it's not amazingly better than the UK. Um, it's the corporation tax that then there's zero percent corporation tax. So for businesses having um, headquarters here and things like that, that's the attractive thing, I guess, for for the offshore side of it. Um, it does actually have um, its own government. I think the um, Isle of Man government is actually the longest serving government in the world, I think, um, which is a very strange uh, fact that I found out when I first moved here, uh, which I had no idea about, um, which is called Timwald, um, which is I'm not quite sure how many years it's been running and in power, but it's yeah, apparently the longest, longest running one in the world, which is a nice little fact for you. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's got we've got uh, close to I think it's about ninety thousand people here, so it's still fairly small. Um, a lot of people, as you mentioned, there do know it as sort of the offshore jurisdiction to come to. There is a lot of there's quite a lot of global companies here. Uh, you've got the likes of obviously all the, the typical banking with your Barclays and HSBC and, and so on. They all have the branches here and and uh, whatnot. You've got PokerStars, which are um, massive gaming company. Uh, there is quite a few uh, KPMGs and um, the the big four, usual big four uh, auditors and things like that. So there is plenty of big global companies here that will have their little headquarters. And it's uh, a very small community-driven island, I think. Um, it's one of the, the benefits at the minute. A lot of people get island fever, I think, being stuck on the island for, for so long. Uh, but with this lockdown at the minute, we've we've been lucky, I think, in terms of the lockdown because we've shut our borders fairly early on. We've not had a case on the Isle of Man now of coronavirus for I think it's about six or seven weeks now. Um, so we're effectively back to normal here. Um, we're back in the offices, back restaurants are open, bars are open, everything's just back to normal because there is no cases. Uh, so it's great. But that's why the borders are shut, obviously. So uh, we're living in our own little bubble literally now at the minute, which is, uh, is good, but it's still the island fever. I've not been able to leave the island a little bit. And they have that crazy bike race. Yes, <laughs> yes, the TT, the Alaman TT, um, which, which blows your mind if you've ever seen any footage of that. Yes, Just. I'm not a big bike fan, um, but when I came over here and started watching that, it was I think the first time I was watching that, and I was stood at the side. It's a road race for people that are not quite sure what the, T, the Alaman TT is. It's a motorbike road race, and they shut the island effectively. That all the roads on the island get shut for um, the sort of two week period while they're racing. And the, normally, you know, you're on a, a racetrack where everything's smooth and there's no bumps and holes and potholes and things like that. But this is just on the road, so it's it's absolutely crazy. And they're going at, um, I don't even know what the top speed is, 185 miles an hour, is it? Something like that, I think, is, I think I'm guessing here, towards top speeds. Uh, and they're flying down roads that at, at one point as well, there's one called the Mountain Road, which runs across um, these big mountains uh, from the north of the island coming back down south and they're literally flying around that at like ridiculous speeds and on the edge of a cliff going around corners it's just yeah it's unbelievable i remember standing i think at the side of the road and watching these bikes come past us and it was just a you barely saw the bike because it was just a boom 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 and it was just like those three bikes just gone and it was just um absolutely incredible um when you see the spills like when you see people come off them you're just like yeah. oh my god it's just ridiculous it's crazy. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's. It's one of them things. There's so many accidents every year. There's there's a lot of accidents and unfortunately a lot of deaths as well um, every year, which is an unfortunate part of the the race itself. It's 
It's it, amateur, isn't it? It's not like um, uh, I'm not. Prof- I, I'm sure professionals would take, but like, I, I don't think it's like purely all professionals. Uh, I'm not sure myself on that. I, I'm not sure. Um, we'll have loads of we've got loads of TT uh, enthusiasts in the office, so they'll all be shouting at me now, saying, yeah. "How do you not know that?" <laughs> do you not, well, I can't imagine. Like you know, a sport would be regulated if people die every year. You know, it's like uh, it'd have to be clamped down, wouldn't it? You, you, yeah, I'm. I'm really not sure. I'll find that out for you. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, a random rabbit hole, listener. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we're talking about motorbike racing <laughs> instead of Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, the TT is a great, I think for the Isle of Man, it, it's such a big deal and it's such a big thing. Every It's on once a year uh, in end of May, start of June time. And the island just, it, it almost doubles in size, I think, in terms of population because so many people come over from all around the world and um, all of a sudden you go to this, You've got a nice quiet island all year round. And then the two weeks of the year that it's on, it's like a party island. You've got just people everywhere, bikes everywhere. There's um, fairgrounds on the seafront. And yeah, it's just, a, it turns into a bit of a festival island for two weeks. Um, so the, the reason I wanted to ask you about it um, was to find out like, you know, because the world of finance is there, right? Like you said, all the banks are there, all the a-hole funds are there like Zurich, Friends Provident, Aberdeen, um, the list goes on. That listeners are just ripping you off, by the way, through admin fees and commission and, and whatever else. And to my knowledge, have no vehicle to diversify into Bitcoin as yet, but I might be speaking out of turn. I know I've tried in a few of them um, from my legacy being ripped off days of investing into these things. Um, because Grayscale Bitcoin Trust should be very, very easy for you know these kind of companies. It's just a click of a button. You can buy it OTC and you can be part of your portfolio. Are you, are you getting any kind of feel that this change is going to happen? Are any of these companies trying to look at this now? Um, I mean, auditors, for example, are they advising their firms to to diversify some of their holdings into into Bitcoin? Or are we a way away from this yet? Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one um, from the Alaman perspective because the likes of, like when you're saying about KPMG and, and say Barclays, HSBC, the likes, they actually are headquartered mainly in, say, London. So the London branches and the London um, team are the decision makers, not the Alaman branch. So they don't have the, unfortunately, most of the companies here that are global companies don't have the decision-making power to actually bring anything in. So we have over the years, um, myself and one of the co-founders, we've been around um, all the banks here. We've been around um, a lot, as, as you mentioned there, the, the, the KPMG style and um, that side where we've been and educated them on what Bitcoin is, how it works. Uh, then a lot of the time it's trying to figure out if how it fits in their business models and how they can benefit from it and how they can use it. Uh, they, at the minute, that's, you know, that's been going on for five or six years now that we've been educating them on and, and moving with things. Unfortunately, the, the, the answer from all these, especially the, or in particular, the global companies, it always comes back to um, here. They're always saying, oh yeah, it sounds like it's great. We'd love to add it in some way within the business, but you know, the decisions come from London or come from elsewhere. Uh, so they don't actually, unfortunately, have that that power, decision-making power here to be able to do that. Um, the smaller ones at the minute, what we're finding, uh, we originally, we could only deal with B2C side of things, so just to the, the retail end customers. Uh, 
more recent, we've been able to now, because of the banking, that was all banking situation is why we couldn't touch B2B side of the businesses. Now we can open up to businesses. We're now touching base again with all these businesses and seeing how we can help them or how it can impact. There has been um, some quite good take up at the minute. Uh, one of the big uh, angles or one of the big sectors at the minute, obviously e-gaming is a, a big sector. So we're starting to move into that sector. Um, they're sort of similar to us as an industry, I guess, so their clusters like this high risk industry and they have trouble with banking and, and so on. So actually we fit quite well with them. Um, from a, uh, another industry is the CSP industry, which are corporate service providers, which are, is quite a, a big industry on the Isle of Man. I know you touched on earlier about how a lot of companies all bring their, it's like a shell company over here and, um, to a, not avoid tax, but let's say, yeah, they come and try and avoid tax is the, the simple, the short answer of it. Um, so the companies are coming over here and, and the corporate service providers are companies that help these companies set up companies in the Alamam. Sorry, a lot of companies in there. Um, they help them set up the companies in the Alamam and they um, help them with all sorts of various operations within that business with the company structure and things like that. So they're actually now, they have quite a global reach. Uh, so they're getting quite heavily interested now in Bitcoin and accepting Bitcoin because they have clients. One angle, for example, is they've got clients all around the world that may want to set up, say, an e-gaming company and they want to set up in the Alaman. So these guys help them do that and set up the structure, set up, you know, maybe have some staff here and, and so on. And these guys could be from, um, Indonesia, for example. And if they're from Indonesia, trying to make the payment to them, bank transfers can be a hassle, costly, etc. So they're now looking at using Bitcoin to accept the payments um, from these companies around the world. So that angle is now starting to become more of a popular method. Uh, and we are starting to get quite a few of them now um, involved. Um, we have as well uh, quite a big, um, or we have quite a few family offices and they are generally a high net worth, ultra high net worths uh, and so on who have a, an office here and they look after their money. So a lot of them now are looking to buy Bitcoin and, and get exposure to Bitcoin as well. Um, so then they're, they're more on a individual uh, level and an investment or uh, store of wealth, uh, store of value uh, angle rather than the bringing it into a business uh, model or a business concept. Um, from the more banking side of things uh, still unfortunately as i was saying before it, it all runs back to decisions are all made for the banks here in london in the uk so they don't really get a say in it uh, they've not really again we've had conversations with them all uh, but there's nothing no real movement from the banking side at the minute i think they are generally um, as the uk always is it's always behind uh, the us in terms of technology and in terms of movement on, on things like this so i can imagine over the next couple of years we'll start to see some sort of movement maybe um but i think that will still take quite a lot of time i think we may have a bit of a setback a little bit with uh, the whole coronavirus uh, crisis and the lockdown we've had over the last six months or so now and that's slowed a lot of businesses down um obviously people are working from home all around the world still and that's potentially causing a lot of all as we deal with people it is it is unfortunately causing a lot of slowdown in businesses uh, and it's unfortunately as well we're starting to see i know in the uk especially starting to see now a lot of businesses closing down and um jobs being lost effectively there as well so it is i think that will delay a little bit um so maybe we're not quite there yet which is kind of uh not contradicting but it's the crazy angle of uh, you know actually it's 
all these businesses might be delayed because of this, but because of the coronavirus and the crisis. But on the other hand, people are buying Bitcoin because of it as well. So all of a sudden, the price starts going up and it moves again. So it's a bit um, a bit of sweet almost, um, where I think we're going to see maybe a, not not quite a 2017 bull run um, just yet. I think that's going to be a little bit um, potentially delayed due to the coronavirus a little bit. I would, I would imagine. Interesting. Um, but at the same time, there's the other, as I'm saying, on the other hand, it could be sped up because of that. So I could be wrong there. Um, yeah, we, it's interesting. It's a, that's a nice, that's a nice point. Actually, wouldn't it be nice if it has slowed down the decision making in the big corporations and conglomerates that could come in and just wail by this thing to the moon? But you know, if it slowed those guys down, um, that gives the people on the street the opportunity to, you know, they've been sat at home two or three months now and like questioning the whole system, like yep. this whole financial construct, yep. questioning like, how are you printing this millions of pounds, euros, dollars, and questioning how am I going to, you know, what does my next 10 years look like? How do I store my value? How do I, you know, save for the future when interest rates are zero and they're talking about going negative? Like, you know, it's madness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, yes, this thing is slowing down like the decisions in the corporate world, but is speeding up the decisions at like the micro social economic world. Yeah. yeah I think that's, yeah, that's the, the good way, a, a good way to put it, a good explanation for it. Um, and I, yeah, I, I kind of hope it is that a little bit as well. I think um, it'd be nice for the the general public to have a little bit of a longer opportunity to explore Bitcoin and, and get involved before um, it not becomes too late, but before the, the the bigger corporations really get their hands on it and get involved. Um, and I think um, touching on uh, kind of ties back a little bit with the Bitcoin development side as well. Um, we're still, you know, if we, w- we would not be ready now if the Bitcoin price went to a million dollars and everybody gets involved. It's not ready. It's still a lot of work to do in the development. There's still a lot of um, work to do in the infrastructure around the industry for it. It's it's not quite ready in there yet. So you you've got to be careful. And timing is is everything. Timing is key. Um, you don't want to um, absolutely. You know, we saw back in 2017 it, that the infrastructure wasn't there and wasn't ready. And that's not just on the Bitcoin um, software itself and the, the network itself. We did see a backlog, and that was this chaos for quite a few months there. But all of the exchanges around the world were shutting the doors for registrations because they couldn't handle it. It was just too many people coming through the door and, and we weren't ready and capable to handle that. Um, so I think we still have a long way to go and we've still got lots of infrastructure to build. Um, and that's going to be, I think, the exciting piece for the next, um, I don't know, next five years where we're hopefully still going to be continuing to build that infrastructure and, and build it out before the um the big corporations really try and, and get involved and get their hands on. Um, obviously, I'm saying five years there. I could be way out. I'm just throwing a number out there. <laughs> <laughs> I won't hold you don't, to don't it. Don't quote mate. me on that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you want to shill some socks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes, so um, man socks. <laughs> um, have you, do you actually have, do you have a pair or...? I don't. You, you no, don't have a pair. Uh, we'll get some sorted for you after the show, and I'll get. Um, awesome. I'll get some sent out to you. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I knew they'd been around. Uh, I did, did come across my well, following you on Twitter and whatever else, um, but I never got around to uh, ordering a pair. But 
Tell tell the listeners uh, Mount Sulks, Mount Gox, um, yeah. you know wh- where you got that kind of thing from, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Mount Sox was meant to be a, it was an educational project almost. We've, we always try and educate people. Um, we've done educational um, talks and we've tried, we've worked with a, a, an agency in London, uh, which has tried to do sort of um, a PR angle, a PR agency there. And we've always tried to push on the angle of trying to make Bitcoin simple and Bitcoin easy and educate people on, on the basics and um, the history of it as well, I think a little bit. It's that understanding the history as well does help to understand what this industry stands for and where it is. So we were trying to look for a way to educate people, but a fun and friendly way. And we were thinking we saw a couple of other people selling caps and selling T-shirts and selling things like that. So we thought, you know, what what can we do that can be fun and friendly, but actually educate people at the same time? So we thought, you know, everyone wears socks, so let's go with socks because you know you can be male female it doesn't it's um it's a nice easy one that everybody can wear and um they're simple um so we then went for the name we did have uh, a couple of different names um which were all play on words for things within the industry so we tried to make this whole project about education so every little piece of the project has for some form of education piece in there um so exactly what you said there the mount gox and the um Mount Sox. So the play on the words there was Mount Gox being one of the um, biggest ex- or the biggest exchange um, years back, and unfortunately they um, suffered a, a, a hack at the time, and then a, a ended up um, in bankruptcy. And they're still going through the court cases um, still today. I think it's it got close to an end at some point, not so long ago, but unfortunately still going. I think. Um, so they're trying to recover a lot of customers' bitcoins and so on. So it was the keeping your bitcoins on the exchange and trying to help educate on, on that angle of it. Um, we also had a um, another one which was uh, Sock Road, um, which we got the domain for that just in case. So uh, we're not going to play with that one just yet, but um, that was there just in case. Uh, we did come up with quite a few, but Mount Ox and Mount Sox I think was the the best one, uh, the, the the most popular one in the team anyway. Um, so every pair of socks uh, has its own design. Every pair of socks has a meaning behind it and a reason behind the design. So we did the, uh, for example, the roller coaster guy one, where the is you know everybody uses the the roller coaster meme, and that's the the whole industry kind of does start to know who the roller coaster is, and you know it's that thing of this industry is literally a roller coaster. You're one minute you're up, next minute you're down, next minute you're up, and it's just it's an absolute nonstop roller coaster. So each one of these socks tells you, like for example, with that one with the roller coaster, and then it'll tell you a little bit about. You get a card with you get a little slip card, uh, it's like an information piece with every uh, pair of socks, and that'll explain who the roller coaster is, where he come from, his history and his background, and a little bit about it all. Um, so we've tried to do that, and every month we release a different sock with a different design on, and every pair of socks is finite, so we're only um, creating. A certain amount of socks for each one and once they're sold they're sold and you won't be able to um purchase any more socks after that point for that particular design excellent well um i think it's uh, i think it's a great idea and uh i'd probably be remiss if i didn't ask the question you know when pants <laughs> we've, uh, we've actually had this conversation about what what to do next <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, I don't think at the minute, um, I don't think we'll be moving away from socks at the minute. I think we're going to stick to socks. 
Um, <laughs> I know Charlie Shrem was wanting uh, flip flops. Um, so right. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we'll branch out at some point, but but not yet, not just yet. Okay, Danny. Well, we've been talking almost an hour and a half. Um, that's flown past. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you, and I'm going to round it out with the usual last question. Um, and I don't know whether you know it, but uh, if you had one red pill left to give to somebody, who would that person be and why? Oof, I've never had that question. Um, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, oh, that's an interesting one. I've never thought of that. Um, the first one that pops to my mind ends up, I would say, um, your Bill Gates. Um, and I'm sure that's quite a popular answer um, for people. Um, it's not, isn't it? First time. So, there we go then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I know Bill, Bill Gates has his, um, I think some people likes, like him, some people don't. He's a little bit Marmite maybe. I think he's a, um, a great businessman the way he's, he's obviously created Microsoft and um, learning about him and the, uh, the charity side, the charitable side that he goes into now. I think the more I've learned about him, the more he realized how actually um, switched on and clever he, he is. Um, so I think a, posi- a person in his position and power um, would hopefully take, he'd go down the rabbit hole and he'd go down the rabbit hole deep. I think, I think he would be, um, learning everything he could if he got his head into it. And I think he would then be looking for how can this impact and, and help the world, uh, in a, a better way. Um, and I don't believe, I know some people will probably disagree with that, but I don't disagree with this as well, but I, I don't believe he would, um, look to, get involved in Bitcoin to make more money for himself. I think he would look to Bitcoin to make the, the, an impact on the world and in for the better, hopefully. Um, so I think he would be a perfect uh, person there that would be able to fit that hole and fit that gap. Um, and I know people, some people would disagree because some people really have a, a thing against him, but um, I do believe he's um, a, he's, his, he means well, I think, in everything he does. Um, as much as in the past, you hear the history of him being a ruthless businessman and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I think he means well and he wants to do well for the world. So uh, I think he'd be a good person. He wouldn't be swayed by money, which is a good thing. Cool, man. Great answer. And uh, yeah, that's the first time that um, he's been um, he's been mentioned. And um, I, I, there's a Twitter out there, a Twitter account out there called Shillgates, which uh, yes. I, I find, <laughs> find very amusing. <laughs> So, um, mate, is there anything left that um, you you want to address, or like any final for, any final thoughts for for the listeners, uh, people that might be listening? Um, not really. <laughs> my, my mind is kind of um, <laughs> running away with all sorts of things, but no, I think um, keep building, keep keep contributing where you can with Bitcoin. I think touching on the Bitcoin core contributions earlier, and you know this. This industry is there's so many people benefiting from the Bitcoin price and the value going up and things like that. And I think it'd be great. It's it's a community driven um, project and it's a community driven thing. And I think the more people um, can contribute to it and the more they can put towards it and the more they can help educate others and, and so on. I think just keep doing your part and every little counts. And um, you know everybody in the world there, you know even if it's explaining things to your neighbor or your family member and things like that, just educating them and talking through um, everything counts. Don't think that your voice is too small to be heard and um, everything can contribute to it. Um, so keep 
spreading the education is uh, definitely, I think, my, my key thing. Perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much, mate. Um, Thank you. Where can people come and find you? Let's just uh, make sure they can uh, get onto you at Twitter. Yep, uh, Coin Corner Danny on Twitter. Um, and that's mainly the, the, the main place I am. Um, Reddit as well, but I always uh, stay anonymous on Reddit. <laughs> We don't want to get too involved on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you very much, Daniel, for having me on. Appreciate that. It's been uh, great fun. Yeah, it's been great to, uh, to get to know you and uh, learn about um, you know your past, uh, what you're building, and um, what you think of the future. So uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you uh, enjoyed that one with uh, with Danny Scott. Really appreciate him coming on and um, laying everything out as as well as he did. Um, yeah, very um, yeah, eye opening uh, discussion. Uh, I really appreciate actually the way he handled the the question about um, having other coins on the exchange and what was the thought process behind that. And you know what's what what drives that thought process, and whether um, you know how's that going to shape the business and the exchange going forward. Um, yeah, it was very very insightful, and uh, appreciate him um, you know explaining that in in the way he did. Uh, I'm sure it's still very very conflicting because he's clearly a, a Bitcoin guy and loved his stories, um, early day stories, uh, getting into the space and um, the. Uh, the, the fun with the uh, the mining and uh, and, and all of that kind of uh, caper, which um, I know I, I just love hearing those early early day stories of of how people discovered it and how it started changing their lives and um, how they matured with it as 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 the asset did. Um, it would have been fun to have been around uh, messing around with um, mining equipment back in those days, <laughs> but uh, yeah, alas, I was chained to a desk. Well, um, yeah, big thanks uh, to everybody that's listening and uh, big thanks to Danny. And we closed that that interview out, actually. At time of recording, we had no idea that um, corporate America were coming into the space. And But with the uh, latest news that um, a company yesterday uh, announced that they had bought, uh, I don't know the exact number, but over 21, uh, around 21,500 Bitcoin, uh, which are now going to start... Um, putting onto their balance sheet so this this is it now this is the, the you know the rockets have been lit if if companies like that are coming in game theory is a foot and uh, the game is just now really going to start hotting up uh, it's a shame more people on the street haven't had more of time and chance to get in early although let's be fair you know Bitcoin has been around 11 years it's, uh, it's up to us now to, to just keep pushing forward and try and educate as many people as possible to, to start um, saving for their future. Um, so, you know, you, you know where you can do that, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Uh, you can go start stacking sats in the UK. If you're in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. You can go start stacking with those guys as well. Both purely Bitcoin only companies, both very much aligned on their ethos, both trying to do as much as they can to educate as many people uh, the best practices of, of you know, Bitcoin. Uh, so 
go check them out. And um, I must chill as well, uh, 21ism. Go follow them on Twitter. Uh, you can probably hear the music in the background. That's from at Hodler the now Sir Badminton. Uh, he and some other legendary uh, Britcoiners are putting together some like, incredible stuff. So go check out 21ism.com at 21ism and start getting to know those guys because there's going to be some... Uh, just watch out. Watch this space. That's all I'm saying. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks for all of the banter on Twitter. It's great. I love seeing the comments. Love seeing the tweets. Um, yeah, just just keep it up. And for those, I think, six people that have left a, uh, a review on iTunes, whoever you are out there, thank you so much. It means a great deal. Um, anything to help the cause. See you on the next show, guys. And as always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>